You're listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. We pray that today's message helps you to connect to Jesus for life change. Happy New Year, everybody. We are coming to the close of our first full week of 2024. Uh, for anyone under 50 probably in the room, we used to have these things called checks. They were, they were a, a, a paper debit card is what they were. Um, and I don't know about anybody else, when you would do that, it was like you'd spend January, February, March still writing the old year. Anybody else do that? Did anybody sign something or write a date this week and you wrote 2023? Anybody? I didn't. I'm so proud of myself. It was like my first resolution is accomplished. I want to get through the first week without writing the wrong date. Um, was kind of fun this week on, on social media. I saw a meme. Uh, if you remember the story of Jesus in the garden and the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17, John 18, they come and they arrest him. And Peter, one of his disciples, grabs his sword and whacks off the ear of a guy. You remember that story? Uh, John chapter 18, John actually tells us the guy's name is Malchus. And uh, so I saw this picture. It looked like an old flannel graph from Sunday school when I was a kid. It's kind of one of those caricature things, and it's Jesus holding this guy's ear and putting it on, and he goes, Happy New Ear. <laughs> so, yeah, right? That's what I'm like. Okay, that's kind of cute. I like that. So, dad joke. I got a couple of them today, so stay with me. Um, some of you still haven't gotten that. You'll Later, you can text me, go, ah, oh, new year. I, I get it. So, um, the year was 1961. Some of you probably weren't even born at that point. Um, up in the upper Midwest, the town of Green Bay, Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. Woo! Um, the team was the Green Bay Packers. There were 38 guys as part of the Green Bay Packers squad. Uh, the previous year, they finished not well. Uh, they just weren't performing well. And they brought in a new coach. His name was Vince Lombardi. And uh, Vince Lombardi, in his first team meeting with those 38 men, he grabbed a football and he simply held it out and he said, This is a football. What was he doing? Fundamentals, taking them back to the fundamentals. Every great sports team um, that has turned things around, it's typically because they go back to the fundamentals. And that's what Lombardi did with the Packers, and, and he became one of the winningest, greatest coaches. Uh, we'll have a Super Bowl sometime soon. I don't even know if those are worth anything anymore, but uh, the, the trophy's named after this guy because he was such a great coach because he focused on the fundamentals. He kept going back to the basics. And although those 38 players thought they were just going to pick up where they were the year before, he took them back to page one. And he's like, we're going back to the basics. The guys, this is a football. If you ever forget what that is, we, we miss the whole point. And so he started really pressing in on the basics of, of blocking and tackling and ball handling. And it, just, it was just, it was great. And I think that's what we do now as we begin a new series uh, simply called Begin Anew. Uh, it's important to go back to the basics and remember who we are and where we are. And I think we need to go through some assessment to understand where are we, what is true of us in this moment, uh, to really understand where we're going. Uh, because it's really easy. Some of you may have laid out 
resolutions for the new year. Um, it's just, it's another day. The, the day just ticks over and we just kind of keep going. Life isn't drastically different today than it was a week or two ago, is it? Life is still the same. Some of those same hurts and struggles are still there, but, but we stop and it's like, hey, this is just a season. We're clearing a hurdle, opportunity to kind of reevaluate some things. And so I think it's good for us to stop and actually assess where are we? Uh, and, and sometimes in order to do that, you stop and say, what is true? What do we know to be true right now? So in order to get someplace new or begin anew, we have to understand where we are. And so from a positive perspective, I think it's important. I want to take just a moment and, and press into uh, a few things that the Bible says is true of us if you are in Christ. Now, we're going we're to hit a verse in just a few moments that Pastor Brad hit on last week. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. So, what's new? Anybody, anybody say that to you this year? Hey, what's new besides the year? Well, there's some things that are true. This is not, listen to me, this is not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination. But these are some of the things that, that as I was just going through and finding some things, I thought these things are true of me as a follower of Jesus that are new. One, there's a, a new birth. Speaking of my salvation, my conversion experience, John chapter 3, as Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, he says, uh, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. You know what that means? It means to be again born. That's literally what Jesus is saying. You have to be again born. Uh, Nicodemus, you need to die to yourself and be born again. It's, it's a new birth. It's a regeneration. You're starting all over again. So no matter at what point you surrender your heart and life to Jesus Christ, you become an infant in Christ and you begin a growth process. And you're growing. But, but there's a new birth that happens when we come to know Christ. There's a new nature. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? Come on, say it loud. A new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We, we have a new heart that changes our affection, the things we, we long for and desire. Ezekiel chapter 11, I love is God is speaking of his people, uh, the nation of Israel. He says, I will give them an undivided heart and I'll put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Think of the difference between hardness of heart and softness of heart. A heart that's soft and pliable, something that God can work with. He can mold. He can shape. We have a new identity. This is critical. It's so important for us to understand our identity in Christ. It's, it's sort of the root of our, of our salvation. It's the root of our walk with Christ. It's foundational. John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I call, I've called you what? Friends, for everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. So many things about our identity in Christ in Scripture. We have a new name. We're called sons of God or daughters of God, children of God. First John 3, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God because that's what we are. Romans 8, Paul says, you know, now if we are children, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So we have a new name. We are now sons of God and daughters of God. Is that awesome? We should be way more excited. I mean, that's incredible to know that I'm a child of God. I'm a son of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We have a new appetite. 
our longings, our desires, the things that we strive for. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk so that by you may grow up in your salvation. We have a new authority, a new power, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It speaks to a, a new sense of authority, a new sense of power that's not of us, but it's of God in us because I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. Uh, we have a new purpose, Matthew 28, also in Mark. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. We have a new song. Uh, the things that we speak of, the joy with which uh, situations that, that we're going through come across our lips, good or bad, it's a new song. It's a song of praise from Ezekiel, uh, or I'm sorry, from Psalm chapter 40, verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Uh, that's not based on circumstance. It's just, a, it's just a new song. I cannot help but praise God. Good times or bad times. We have a new home. Praise God, this is not my eternal home. Raleigh's great. We drop an acorn on New Year's. That's, that's pretty cool. Now, okay, serious confession here. When Les and I moved here five, a little over five years ago, and they go, hey, we drop an acorn at Christmas, I thought, really, that's what you guys do? And I seriously, in my head, I thought someone dropped an acorn, <laughs> like they were like trying to hit a bucket or something like it was a competition. I seriously, and then I thought, oh, oh, it's the big acorn, anyway. Personal confession moment right there. Uh, we have a new home. Raleigh, North Carolina, earth is not my home. Um, Jesus is speaking in John 14, my father's house has many rooms. If we're not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back, Dave, and I'm going to take you to be with me so that where I am, there you may be also. 2 Corinthians 5, we'll jump back there. All things are new. All things are new. Are new. If we are in Christ, all things are new. What's the significance of that? I want to just pause for a moment, and I want to break out two words in that, in that verse that kind of set the foundation for us moving forward this morning. Therefore, look at it on the screen. Therefore, what? If. Therefore, if. That's an important word. It's two letters, but it's incredibly important because we have to understand it's a primary particle of conditionality. I'm not a, I'm not a, a grammar cop at all, but, but it speaks to a condition that is available, but not automatically available. The contrast is, therefore, if you're not in Christ... Or therefore, if you are in Christ. It's, it's a choice. He's saying there, there's a condition. You can be in Christ or not in Christ if. So it's important to know as we, we begin this, begin a new series, you can't begin anew what never began in the first place. If, if you want to begin anew with Christ in your walk and your relationship, you can begin anew. If you've never started that relationship with Christ this morning, I'm going to invite you to that relationship. I'm going to ask you to embrace this, this verse to say, if is no longer a question. I, I am. I look at this verse and I go, I am a child of God. I am in Christ. That's the other critical word that we have to understand. Therefore, if anyone is what? In. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's a primary preposition that denotes a fixed position. 
that you are settled, you are in a relation of rest is literally what Paul is saying. Therefore, if anyone is in a fixed position, a relational position of rest in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and all things have become new. So when we look at that list of 11 things that I shared, those can be true of you, but they're not automatically true of you. That's what Paul is saying. Are they true of you? Uh, do you embrace those? Do you rejoice in those? Are you growing in those and identifying those as, as the foundation of who you are? When we look at Scripture, Jesus never wanted to accept disciples uh, under false pretenses. So we always let them know the cost of discipleship. Now, we have to understand that, that salvation is absolutely a free gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Jesus paid a price for my sin on the cross, and my salvation is absolutely free. There's nothing I can do to earn it. But to be a follower of Jesus demands everything of me. You probably heard of a local North Carolina boy named Dr. Billy Graham, who once said, salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything. That's the picture we see in Scripture. So as we think about this new year, a fresh start in our relationship with God, we want to ask ourselves, what's going to keep me? What are, what's the potential uh, barriers that could keep me from walking in relationship with Christ? So Luke chapter 9 is where we're going to spend just a few moments this morning. There's a parallel passage to it in Matthew chapter 8. But if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to just jump to Luke chapter 9 with me. We're going to look at a few verses. And what, what I see in these verses where Jesus identifies three barriers, and he, he actually says this is the cost of discipleship. There's barriers that, that could keep me from walking in intimacy with Christ, to keep me from walking in fellowship with Christ. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 57 uh, it's also in Mark chapter 8. It's kind of a parallel passage. And he actually begins by, by saying, and, and Jesus looked at the crowds and the multitudes that were around him. So we have to understand the setting is that there's a lot of people following Jesus right now. Luke chapter 9, verse 57, as they were walking along the road, that's Jesus, that's his disciples, that's his crowd, this multitude that's just being drawn to Jesus and following him. A man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the love of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom. That's kind of harsh, isn't it? I mean, seriously, give me a nod of your head or something or tweet me and go, yeah, that's harsh. Um, that sounds harsh. We, we want to talk about this loving, gracious Jesus, but, but when I said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, it's available, but it's not automatic. And Jesus is basically saying, are you willing to pay the price? Now, I want to contrast what Jesus just told these guys to the calling of the first disciples. 
Let me just read some verses. You can watch it on the screen uh, from Matthew chapter 4. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were, good job. And he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, listen, when he said, follow me, he, that was the invitation. He also gave them a description. This was not an easy call. Uh, we look at this and think it's just an easy call. It's not. With the invitation, he gave a description. You come and follow me, I'm going to change who you are. I'm asking you to give it up and walk away, which is what they do. So this isn't just an easy, oh, he was tricking him. No, this was really clear. Follow me and I will make you something else. If you follow me, I'm going to change who you are. Everything about you will become new. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm about to change your life dramatically. What happened? Verse 20, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father. They were mending their nets and he called them. Verse 22, immediately they left the boat, they left their father, and they followed him. What, what a contrast between those two passages, isn't it? People were drawn to Jesus. He was an incredible teacher. He's performing miracles. Matter of fact, when you read the, the verses right before this in Luke chapter 9, you see Jesus healing people. He's, he, he's an incredible character. He's an incredible individual. People are drawn to him. He's disrupting the religious and the political system. People are drawn to him. He's an incredible teacher, so people are drawn to him. He's healing people. He's feeding people, so people are, desire to be near him, to be close to him. So what he was wanting to do is he wanted the crowds, to, and, and really the crowds, he wanted the crowds to understand. He also wanted you and me to understand what it meant to follow him or to say that I'm following him. He wanted to have a clear expectation of what that would mean. Jesus was here separating the casual from the consecrated he was separating those that were uh, simply affiliated with him to those who are activated with him. He was creating space for both of these things to happen, people to be near him, but those that were going to begin anew and join him and be activated on the mission, he said, I want you to clearly understand what's expected. Now, I want to hit pause here for just a second this morning because what I want to share is three barriers that I see. So I'm going to share three points and three principles and we'll run through that pretty quick. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to just, this morning, if you're in the room, maybe you're joining us online, I just want you to, just for a moment right now, would you just say, God, I want to be honest with you. I want to hear from you, from your word, and I want to be honest with you. Lord, speak to my heart. Step on my toes where that's necessary. And, and I, I, let me just tell you, he's done it to me a lot in the last couple of weeks, just pressing into this passage. To just say, God, where am I in my walk and relationship with you? Where am I in relation to these barriers from being all in for you? God, what's keeping me from beginning anew with you? Are you willing to just pray that prayer just quietly? Just speak it to the Lord. Say, God, just speak to my heart. Let me be honest. 
and let me respond to whatever it is you tell me. God, whatever you tell me. As we look at this passage, it's, it's kind of interesting because Jesus, is, is his invitation to follow was serious business. Sometimes we don't want to look like, we, we don't want to look at salvation that way. We want to sort of say, well, it's really easy. It's not easy to die to yourself. It's not easy to take up your cross and follow him. That's what he told his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. He's, he turned to Peter. Now get this, Peter's a follower and Peter needs to begin anew. So he says, he looks at Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan. He said, you're a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus is just being honest. It's easy, but it's hard. Anybody find it hard to walk the Christian life? Is it just me? So I'm preaching to myself this morning. I'm the only one that finds this hard. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Kathy. This is a great little book. Uh, it's some, some of the writings of A.W. Tozer. The book is entitled The Radical Cross, and it's really chapters and excerpts from several of his other writings, but it's a compilation of things all written around the cross. There's a chapter in here that was uh, originally in his book called The Root of Righteousness, uh, but, but he says in here, I just love this thought. He said, in every Christian's heart, there's a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne until he puts himself on the cross. If he, if he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. That's a profound thought for me every day to realize I have a choice of getting off the throne and getting on the cross. And if I choose not to do that because of one of these barriers, what I begin to realize is I'm still on the throne. Dave's in control. Dave's going to drive his life. I'm probably not going to fulfill the purpose for which God has called me to be his child, to be filled with a new nature and a new song and a new name but I can choose to stay on the throne or I can surrender the throne to Jesus and I can get on the cross, which is what he told Peter, what he told his disciples, take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. And every day of my life, I want to say, yes, Lord, that's exactly what I want to do. But I also realize there's barriers that will keep me from doing that. Jesus exposed three of them in this passage. So here it is, three points and three principles. The first barrier, the first point is that there's a barrier of personal comfort. There's a barrier of personal comfort. Verse 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. But, but, no place, no belongings, no possessions. Jesus didn't have an address. He didn't have possessions. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I struggle sometimes with personal comfort over the mission of Jesus. Anybody else? 
this first would-be disciple in the passage would not follow Jesus because he didn't want to give up some of the creature comforts. What about me? What about you? Uh, G.K. Chesterton uh, once said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. To, to live a sold-out Christian life, to follow Jesus and take up my cross daily, it brings on great discomfort. Jesus isn't inviting us to this comfortable Christian life, right? Come live your best life now. Man, I'm telling you what, my best life is the life that's yet to come, not the life right now. I have to live for Christ. I have to die to him, and that's going to be really uncomfortable for me. The gospel is simple, but it's not easy. The gospel calls me to see my world as a mission field, the, the gospel calls me to see people in my life, in my workplace, my home, my neighborhood, uh, wherever it may be, I need to see people who are lost in, in their sin and separated from God. And, and if I see it that way, it's going to make me uncomfortable. If I'm living with a new nature and a new purpose and a new mission and a new song in my heart uh, to praise God, even in my difficult moments, that's going to be difficult, isn't it? And it's going to impact the people that I'm, I'm living life with and I'm life, living life around because they're going to then ask questions. They're going to ask me questions, and those questions are going to be hard. They're going to ask me questions about the continuity of Scripture and the integrity of the Word of God and the person of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to go, I don't know. I don't know. I know Jesus, and He changed my life. I may not have every answer to every question that someone's going to ask, but the one answer I will give them is Jesus. I don't know. What about all the different translations that are out there? And what about, I don't know. What I can tell you about is Jesus, just like the disciples in the book of Acts, said, man, I don't know. I can't tell you, but what I can tell you is that I met this guy named Jesus and I've never been the same. And the Pharisees looked at them and they said, once they discovered that they were just common, ordinary men who'd been with Jesus, they didn't know what else to say. People, people only need to know that you are in relationship with Jesus. You do not have to have all the answers. You are not responsible for the conversion, only the conversation about the Jesus that you say that you love. I have far fewer answers then I do questions. I have lots of questions and I press into God and he, he helps answer those questions. But to live this life, this, this barrier of personal comfort, I have to get around. I have to begin to serve outside my comfort zone. I have to be more concerned with the needs of others than myself. That's an uncomfortable place to be. I have to accept and love people of other races, other nations, other people, other culture, other economic status. I have to love these people because Jesus loves them. That's not a natural outflow of my sinful heart. Maybe it comes really natural to you to love disturbing people. It doesn't come natural to me. So I praise God for any friends I have because I know I'm not really lovable. So I praise God if you, if you say you're my friend, thank you. I'm not a lovable person. I'm a sinful person before holy God who wants to press into Jesus. And so for you to minister to me in some capacity is probably stepping outside your comfort zone. Thank you for that. It causes us to give. It, it causes us to, to live uh, in a way that we steward everything that we have. 
Our time is stewarded. Our treasure, our talent, everything is stewarded because it belongs to the Lord and it becomes uncomfortable. I look at this sometimes and I think, man, there are a lot of people who are willing to be the army as long as they only march in parades. Nobody wants to join the army and march into battle. They only want to march into parades. And I think this guy was going, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you for all the good stuff. You're healing people. You're feeding people. That's awesome. That's great. Jesus saying, I'm inviting you into battle. And I think in a a small, subtle way, we've made the American church on Sunday morning the parade. And Jesus is saying, look, if you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you. And personal comfort is going to be a barrier so that when you and I walk out of this place, we realize we're, we're, the parade's over. We've come, we've worshiped the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and now we're stepping into the battlefield. And there will be a, a barrier of personal comfort that may keep me from walking with Jesus. So here's your principle. Are you ready? The principle is to live as a disciple of Jesus will make you very uncomfortable in many areas of your life. More than making you happy, Jesus is more concerned about making you holy. He wants you to be a fulfilled person, holy, sanctified, and set apart. John 10, 10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. You might have life abundantly. That word means full, meaningful, purpose, value, dignity, and honor. And we get that when we live outside our comfort zone for the cause of Jesus Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, phenomenal book. I encourage you to read it. Uh, He said, when Jesus calls us, he calls us to come and die to die to all my wants, my plans, my pleasures, my desires, my comforts. So there's the barrier of personal comfort. The second barrier that I see is the barrier of misplaced priorities. And I I have to walk very carefully with this. So listen to me. Everybody look at me really quick. I'm going to walk through this careful because I do not want you to misunderstand some of the things I'm about to say when we talk about misplaced priorities, okay? Yes, we love our family. Yes, we love our spouse. Yes, we love our children, raise them in the love and the admonition of Christ. But when we start talking misplaced priorities, the second would-be disciple felt the call of family ties over the call to discipleship. Verse 59, he says, and he said to another man, follow me, but he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's not the, the hippie, loving, daisy hand in Jesus that we want to picture in our mind. That sounds harsh. Anybody else? Are you with me? Come on, Jesus. That's kind of harsh. That's kind of mean, isn't it? Is Jesus here in this moment breaking the law? Exodus chapter 20, fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment that comes with a promise that you will live long. Paul repeats it in Ephesians chapter 6. Honor your father and mother. For this is the first command that came with a promise. 
Leviticus 19, it's repeated in the law. Is Jesus now breaking the law if he's saying, hey, don't worry about that. Let the dead bury their own. It's important to note the language that's actually used here in the tenses of of the original language because what, what this guy is asking is, not that my father died and I'm going to a funeral, but can I just wait till my father passes? I have other responsibilities, other comforts. God, then I'll catch up to you whenever, wherever that may be. But he's, he's not breaking the law because it still seems tough. Uh, what about Luke chapter 14 as Jesus is speaking to the crowds that were accompanying him and he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Is Jesus breaking the commands of Scripture? Anybody else ask these questions when you read God's Word or is it just me? <laughs> is he breaking the commands of Scripture? No, he, he's creating a contrast He's simply saying, Dave, by contrast, your love for me uh, should be so great that your incredible love for the wife that I've entrusted to you and I've given you as a precious gift should seem like you hate her compared to the love that you have for me. God, thank you for the precious children. Uh, Thank you for my precious wife. These are gifts from God. Matter of fact, Scripture tells us clearly these are gifts from the Lord. Proverbs chapter 18 says, he who has found a wife has found a good thing. Praise God for my wife. I love my wife. Praise God for my three little sinful kids that God entrusted to me to raise. Because the psalm says, uh, Psalm 127, sons, children are a heritage from the Lord. Praise God for them. They're a gift that's been entrusted to me. But now Jesus is saying, look, you should love them deeply. You should love them passionately, but your love for them should pale in comparison to the point that it seems like hate because your love for me is so great. And if I struggle with this barrier of misplaced priorities, what I begin to do is I worship the things that God has entrusted to me that I should love, but not love more than him. I love my wife. Praise God, she's put up with me for 34 years of marriage. That's unbelievable to me. Praise God, my children still talk to me after, after raising them. They, they still, one and his wife, my, our youngest and his wife came and spent a week with us between Christmas and New Year's. Praise God, they're still willing to do that. I, I love them, but what he's saying is by comparison, Dave, your love for your family, your love for other things should pale in comparison to your passionate love for me. So don't get me wrong, it's not that we shouldn't love our children, but we shouldn't worship them. We shouldn't elevate them above my love and devotion to the purpose of God in my life. Work, work can become an idol, it can become disruptive, but Ephesians 6 says I'm to work hard as I'm working for the Lord. First, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it says that if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat, I'm commanded to work. But, but it shouldn't become an idol to me. Uh, some make leisure the focus of their lives. Some make uh, self uh, the, the focus of their lives. Not that any of these things are bad. Please, please, please hear me. Not that these things are bad, but they can be misplaced in priority in relationship with Jesus Christ. So here's your principle. You ready? Even good things 
What kind of things? Even good things in life can become bad when they keep us from being a disciple of Jesus. They can become a bad thing. I want you to hang on to this thought. When I prioritize the loving Jesus the most, I love and serve others best. When I prioritize my love for Jesus Christ most above and beyond everything else, when I prioritize my love for Jesus first, I love and serve others best. There's a barrier of personal comfort. There's a barrier of misplaced priorities. There's also a barrier of procrastination. And I really put off getting to this point. <laughs> I told you another one's coming. I even gave you a heads up for that one. Verse 61, still another said, Lord, I will follow you, but first, there it is, underline those words, but first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. But first, let, let, me, you know, let, let me put off my decision. God, I want to do this, but first, let me, let me do this. God, but first, let me, let me raise my kids and make sure they're awesome and make sure they have all the stuff that they want. And God, I'll put off doing what you're calling me to do for later. But, but first, let me do this. Uh, but first, let, let me take care of this. First, uh, let me get to that status in my work that I, that I want. Uh, that's a combination of both misplaced priorities and procrastination. I'm, I'm putting something off. Matthew chapter 18, this same story account says when Jesus saw the crowd around him, there were a number of people. And they were not all choosing to follow him. They were, they were putting it off for one of a variety of reasons. See, people love to be around Jesus, but to follow, to put your hand to the plow and abandon everything to follow Jesus and be on mission with him, that's an entirely different thing. He said, let me, let me put off making that decision. God, let me, just, let me just put off making that decision for right now because I just, I just kind of don't want to make that decision. First, first, let me go do this. It reminds me of the soldier that was walking aimlessly around camp and he was confronted by a sergeant. Sergeant simply said, son, what are you doing? He goes, I'm procrastinating, sir. And he says, okay, as long as I know you're doing something. You know? And sometimes we live our Christian life like that. It's like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm busy, I'm doing stuff, I'm procrastinating, but I'm staying busy. I'm attending things, I'm doing things, I'm happy with God. And we, we put off experiencing what God really has in store for us. We, we just put it off. Well, I'll, I'll get to that another time. I, I'll get to that later. We, we put off making a decision. We often put off decisions because they, they're going to limit us. We often put off decisions because they're risky. It's going to cause me to, to, to go deeper with the Lord. But listen, oftentimes to decide, not to decide is a decision of itself. If I decide not to decide, that is a decision of itself. We saw that with Herod. He didn't want to decide in relationship to Jesus. Sometimes choosing not to decide is a decision to say no. And that's exactly what this guy did. 
So as you think about you, your walk with Christ, as you think about stepping into a new year and the idea of beginning anew, if you're in a walk in a relationship with Christ, I'm, I'm going to share a, a simple little graphic, and this is not new to me. It's something that I, I've used and shared with hundreds of people through the years, but it's just a simple little acrostic. You can see it. You can snap a picture. We'll shoot it out on our social media, and, and actually, I give you a PDF. This, this comes from a little booklet. Um, this is... Uh, have you heard of the four spiritual laws? It's also, would you like to know God personally? There's actually some of these out in the foyer by the next steps area. You can grab one. This is page 14 in this little booklet, but I'll send you the PDF if you want that. We'll post that to our social media as well. Um, but growth, if I'm, if I'm going to begin anew and I'm going to begin to grow in Christ, these are some simple steps that you can commit to. Uh, one, go to God in prayer daily. Read God's word daily. Obey God moment by moment. Witness for Christ. Trust God for every detail of your life. Trust the Holy Spirit. Allow him to control and empower your daily life and witness. I say it like it's easy. <laughs> it's not. Because there's these barriers that will pop up. Barriers are tough to fight with. They're a daily struggle for all of us. But as we press into our walk and relationship with the Lord, it's vital to simply be aware of the, of the barriers that are there and to realize that I need to be aware of these things so that I can make right decisions in my walk and my relationship with Christ. It's gonna disrupt us Listen, if we're going to be a church that, that reaches RDU with the vision and the mission and the strategy, it's going to disrupt our lives. Anybody else just want to be disrupted? I, don't want, to be, I want to be disrupted because I want, to, I want to experience all that God has in store for us. And if he disrupts and, and turns over my life, that's fine. If he disrupts everything that's going on, that's fine. Because I want to experience all that God really has in store for us. I don't want to simply be in a parade. I want to go to battle. I want to see God do great and mighty things. What about you? I want to begin anew and say, God, just have your way. Have your way. You notice the, the praise team moved up here. Excuse me. You notice the praise team moved up, and it's just really quiet right now. And that may be really awkward because right now I'm invading your personal comfort. Silence is awkward. But I want us to do business with the Lord this morning. So before the praise team starts playing a nice little tone underneath my, my words, I want to ask you some honest questions. Where do you stand in a relationship with Jesus Christ? I will never assume that someone has a relationship with Christ because they walked into a church. So I just want you to be honest this morning. Have you come to the place that you know that you've surrendered your heart and life to Jesus Christ? 
And I'm pretty sure there's a good handful of people in this room, if, if all the statistics are correct, a good percentage of people, if you honestly answer that question, you're, you're going to say no. I'm not positive. I want to help settle that this morning. I want to help you know what it means to have a personal relationship with God that is life-changing. To come to know him personally the way the Bible instructs us to, to die to ourself, to surrender, to repent, and to give your life to Christ. I can't have all those conversations, so I'm going to make some of you really uncomfortable right now, but, but I, I think the people I'm going to call on, you're excited for this opportunity. If you're a staff, if, if you're a deacon, if you're an elder, um, if you're a small group leader in the room and you're comfortable to have a conversation with somebody about what it means to have a relationship with Christ, I'm going to just ask you to stand just all through the room, wherever you are, small group leaders, pastors, elders, uh, others that are just walking with Christ and you are comfortable. You're absolutely comfortable to go, man, I'd love to pray with somebody. I'd love to talk to somebody. I'd love to grab my Bible and just open it and help you understand what it means to have a relationship with Christ. There's these people all over the room. Go ahead, if there's anybody else. If you're confident and comfortable saying, I'd love to have that conversation with somebody, just stand. Now, some of you around the room, you're saying, man, Pastor Dave, I'm not really sure what it means to have a relationship with Christ. Any one of these folks would love to talk with you during this next song. And I'm going to be right down here. I'd love to talk with you. And maybe you're struggling. Maybe there's things in your life that it's like, I'm really struggling with an addiction. I'm really struggling with life. I'm struggling with my hobbies. I'm struggling with my habits. I'm struggling with my family. There's things that I've elevated above my walk and devotion to Jesus Christ. And I need to lay that down to begin anew. And maybe this morning you just want to go to one of these people and say, would you pray with me? Would you pray with me? I want to begin anew. I'm going to invite you to move. Even while this team is coming right now, I'm going to move this table out of the way. But I'm going to just invite you right now just to begin to move. If God is speaking to your heart and you need to do business with the Lord, just go ahead and move. Move to one of these people. Come right down here. I'm going to walk right down here. And I'd love to talk with you. But during this song, as we simply lay our lives before the Lord, this is a moment of decision. It's a time for us to do business with the Lord. Would you do business with him? Father, in this place, I just ask you to move through the power of your spirit as only you can. Lord, there are hearts and lives that need to be touched for eternity. Lord, there are hearts and lives that need to surrender to you to, to step into the battle, to say, God, we want to reach our city with, the, with the, the message of Jesus Christ. We want to invade our communities. God, we want to invade our city, and, and you need us to step into that mission. Lord, to lay down our lives, to take up our cross daily and follow you. Lord, would you do business with us in this moment? Folks, let me just encourage you, if you're in the room, uh, go to any one of these people. We're going to stand and sing, but you see them, you know who's close to you, or come down and talk to me. If you're online, uh, we can interact with you online. We'd love to chat with you. But in this room, let's do business during this time of, of surrender. Would you let God speak to your heart and would you be bold enough and confident enough to step past that barrier of personal comfort and just have a conversation? God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. If you have a question about the message you just heard, email us at info at sfchurch.com. For additional resources or service information, visit us at sfchurch.com.